Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. At the recent G20 meeting in Bali, the West did all it could, with the help of corporate media, to isolate Russia. All their efforts came to nothing. In fact, the opposite happened. Russia was a welcome participant. NATO's proxy war in Ukraine has united much of the global south. It's NATO against the world. Crosstalking the Global Majority, I'm joined by my guest, Alfred Desaius in Geneva. He's, he's an author and former UN independent expert on international order. In Belgrade, we have Stephen Gaichi. He is a research uh, associate at, the, at Belgrade's Institute for European Studies. And in Istanbul, we cross the Hassan Unal. He is professor at the Department of Political Science and International Relations at Maltip University. Welcome, gentlemen. Crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Alfred, let me go to you first here. Much been said about the conflict in Ukraine. But if you look at uh, on an international scale, I see a tipping point, a pivot, as it were, going on here. The the recent G20 meeting in, in Bali is a very good indication when Western media says the G20 is united on Ukraine, which is absolutely propaganda. It is not true whatsoever. And if you go into the thick description and look at countries wanted to talk about, they wanted to talk about food. They want to talk about energy. They want to talk about trade. They didn't want to talk about Ukraine. But the the. The countries that are in the G7, that are in the G20, that's all they wanted to talk about. This is a huge diversion going on. Go ahead, Alfred. Well, indeed, but uh, the information war continues and intensifies in the West. I am really surprised. I live here in Geneva, Switzerland, and uh, our newspapers, the Tribune de Genève and the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, uh, really follow the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN, etc., so the information war in the West, the indoctrination, the brainwashing in the West is alive and well. That, of course, doesn't function necessarily in Latin America, doesn't function in Africa, doesn't function in Asia. Of course, Latin Americans and Asians have other priorities. You know, we in we have an internal Western querelle between the United States, the Europeans, and, and the Russians. Uh, and uh, basically, we have no right to uh, risk the welfare of the entire planet because of our corral, whether Donetsk happens to be in Russia or in Ukraine. I mean, this is an internal matter that should never have led uh, to violence. It's an internal matter that should have been uh, settled pursuant to Article 2, Paragraph 3, of the UN Charter, which is the only rules-based order that we have. The UN Charter basically is the world constitution, and I am sick and tired of hearing my uh, Secretary General invoke a so-called rules-based international order. Well, for, well, Alfred, I, I've done. I, I'm sick and tired of that phrase too, because it is vacuous. It has no meaning, and it means I have the rules, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. That's what it means. Here, Stephen, in, in, in Belgrade, uh, uh, much of what Alfred said must seem very familiar to you, considering how the West demonizes Serbia. It's really the same playbook. It's just on steroids this time. Go ahead in Belgrade. Exactly. I mean, uh, what we are seeing is uh, a. Uh, 
last grip of neo-colonial language. The thing is that everybody knows the phrases. We all uh, uh, understand what what they're actually saying. Uh, this is only uh, a reframing of the language uh, which is supposed to keep uh, the, not only the global south, but I would say uh, all of the political, no, politically non-Western uh, actors in the world uh, in the state of submission and in the uh, state of constant extortion of resources, uh, people, uh, and uh, uh, to, to prevent the changes that are inevitable. And I think that maybe for the Russians, this uh, war is uh, even a civil war on a on a on a closed territory, I mean, on a, on a part of its of its historical territory. But for the rest of the world, I think this is an anti-colonial struggle. Yep. Uh, and for the Anglo-American coalition, uh, this is also existential for their interests right. uh, because they, they just don't want to, uh, to, to, to appease with uh, the changes that are inevitable. You know, uh, Hassan, in, in Istanbul, Turkey is a member of NATO here, but Turkey is playing a unique role in, in, in this situation here. And it's quite commendable, I would say, because, you know, we are in a multipolar world. And Turkey gets it and understands it and acts as if it is a, a, a significant power in its region and it's acting upon its interest here, even though its other NATO allies don't like it. Of course, the EU, what was it, a, a, a 10 days ago, you know, the, the EU is, you know, telling the Turks not to get, don't cozy up to the Russians. I mean, what about sovereignty? See, I agree with what Stephen just said here, you know, sovereignty, self-determination here. This is something the West talks about but never practices. Go ahead, in Istanbul. Well, as you said, Turkey is a member of NATO, and it's been a reliable member of NATO with the second biggest armed forces, and its armed forces has had enormous uh, battle uh, experience and all that. But it has also all the political experience, uh, particularly within the NATO world and the Western world, how they, for instance, propagandize things, how they demonize world leaders, and how they try to basically resort to propaganda on all matters. These days, in particular over the last few decades, they use propaganda as ballistic missiles. You know, they, they, they just uh, send the ballistic missiles in the form of propaganda across the world. But the good thing is, we in Turkey hardly believe in this sort of propaganda anymore because it's been resorted to so many times, so frequently that it has lost much of its meaning. Yep. It is not convincible at all. It's not convincing at all. You know, uh, 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 as you said, it's a member of NATO, but at the same time, if you ask the public right from the on on anything that involves the United States. The public would say, oh, uh, it must be the United States, basically, that is in the wrong. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, public polls suggested at the beginning of the conflict in Ukraine and in, into, into the conflict some months, um, that uh, the Turkish public basically blames much of the conflict on the United States and its attitude. So it could have been basically dealt with in a peaceful manner. Yep. But, uh, it wasn't preferred to, uh, by the United States. 
And, and the rest of the world, as you said, uh, I don't normally call it the global south. I call it the united world. United well, okay. against... All right, Hassan, I'm going to top you. I'm going to okay. top you on that, because it's exactly what I was going to okay. ask Alfred. Yes, global south is popular, but I like global majority. Do you like that, Alfred? Because that's what it is, the global like majority. very much. There's no question that uh, the non-Western world is far more populous than the Western world. When we in the West talk about the international community, we are basically talking onanist language. We're talking about the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia. Uh, we keep the rest of the world out like it doesn't exist. Uh, Latin America, Asia, and Africa. Now, the perception of NATO uh, in Latin America Asia and Africa is totally different from the perception uh, of uh, NATO in Europe, where we are subjected to a daily barrage of propaganda. And I think that it is important uh, to make it clear in the uh, General Assembly and in the Security Council that after the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact, uh, the uh, NATO has no raison d'etre, and it cannot pretend to be a defensive alliance. It's actually an offensive alliance, and I would go one further. Because of NATO's aggressions in Yugoslavia, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya, in Syria, because of uh, the war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by NATO forces in all of these countries, uh, NATO actually qualifies under Articles 9 and 10 of the Nuremberg Statute. I'm talking about the uh, uh, London Agreement of 8 uh, August 1945. Now, Articles 9 and 10 concern criminal organizations, criminal organizations such as the Reichssicherheitshauptamt uh, in Nazi Germany, as the SS, etc. Now, considering the war crimes that have been committed by NATO forces in total impunity, they certainly qualify as a criminal organization. And I would like to see Ambassador Nedencia in uh, the Security Council actually uh, call NATO well, well, but Alfred, let me let me go to our guest in Belgrade. So, I mean, international law, it's really quite whimsical how the West uses international law. It only uh, mention it when it's to its own purposes. And, it, and uh, m most of the time it's very sloppy also, okay? They really aren't very good at invoking it. They always invoke it against someone else. You know, like, you know, um, uh, war crime trials. I mean, it's always a Serb. It, it's it never, it never anybody else. It, it, it just, it's just weird, okay? Okay, but I'll give you the last minute before we go to the break. Go ahead, Stephen. Belgrade. Yeah, I mean, some uh, seventy percent of uh, of the of the so-called war criminals uh, that were indicted. Some of them, of course, did were war criminals uh, in in the Hague were were Serbs. But I would just like to uh, add on two topics that were just mentioned: NATO and Turkey. Some uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was in Turkey on the thirteenth Bosphorus summit, and the words I've heard that is basically that the West doesn't want to lose the control over the discourse. For instance, I've 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 heard uh, an expert from the United States who said that NATO is the good guys club. 
Uh, and uh, really, I felt chills <laughs> coming from <laughs> coming from Serbia to hear such words. Or uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Robertson, uh, Lord Robertson, who was uh, General Secretary of NATO, he was using exactly the same language that Slobodan Milosevic, former uh, president of Serbia, used. He talked about international law, aggression against uh, sovereign country, and things like. And I thought, oh, where were you 15 or 20 years ago with those arguments? Because we've been saying this for the last. Uh, 23 years now, since 1999. All right, gentlemen, I, I, I have to jump in here. We have to go to a hard break. And after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on the global majority. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. To remind you, we're discussing the global majority. Okay, let's go back to our guests in Istanbul. Hassan, you know, one of the things that the Biden administration brought um, uh, to the world uh, was this uh, democracy versus autocracy uh, slogan. And that's all it really is here. When you went in, obviously, that goes in with the rules based order. It's all kind of wrapped up in this kind of discursive nonsense here. But mo most people don't look at the world that way whatsoever. Again, this conflict in Ukraine, which I think is prompted uh, by NATO, they wanted a conflict. They wanted to bring Russia into a conflict. Um, and then they say, they're not part, we're not part of it. We're not, we're not part of that war. But they very much are part of that war. So, but this uh, democracy versus autocracy, it doesn't have any residents outside of the G7. Go ahead and assemble. Well, um, that argumentation and that discourse basically um, uh, doesn't basically uh, exist ex uh, outside the Western world, as you said. But more importantly, I would say uh, this uh, this is a this is an uh, it is it is not a convincing argument, given that uh, you see the United States leaders basically going over to Saudi Arabia, begging for several things, several favors on this and the other. And at the same time, just as the Russian special operation began in Ukraine, then you have the United States basically uh, going over to Venezuela again for similar uh, favors and all that. Um, so when it comes to, to, to basically uh, uh, support their arguments in general, um, they use it as part of their effort to, to, to get their geopolitical goals. Otherwise, you know, uh, there is no such division as democracies and good guys and uh, bad guys and autocrat autocracies. So uh, we in Turkey uh, don't buy that argument. For instance, if you are democracies, then does that mean you have no disagreement among yourself? I mean, we, uh, we know how um, uh, it is being also uh, used between Turkey and Greece sometimes. Turkey and Greece are both democracies. They are both NATO members, but they have a lot of disagreement over a number of uh, issues. So um, that is not a, a that is not something on which you can basically base a world order. That's... It is not a serious argument at all. 
That's, that's such a good point, Alfred, because what the West wants, it wants is this, uh, um, a suspension of belief, okay? Is that, you know, the, the, the West talks about geopolitics, but it doesn't practice it, okay? The whole world wants to practice geopolitics, your relative strengths, you know, being a member of the international community. And, you know, and what, what Washington wants is that, you know, there's no, you don't have any geopolitics. We have values and you must accept them. That, that just rings hollow. Go ahead, Alfred. Well, we in the West, in particular, Washington and Brussels, uh, we are hypocrites without realizing it. We believe our own propaganda. and uh, That's for sure. But the global majority in the world demands today, and let's get our priorities right. We need immediate ceasefire. We need immediate negotiation. We have here nuclear powers, and we cannot afford this constant spiral of escalation. Someone might make a mistake along the way, as it almost happened last week when a Ukrainian missile hit Poland. And then you have the issues of Articles 4 and 5 of the NATO Treaty. So what we need is mediation, and I must say... Thanks to President Erdogan, there has been a possibility of uh, reaching some kind of uh, compromise. And uh, we need mediators. I would like to see Switzerland step in and mediate between uh, Russia and NATO, not only between Russia and Ukraine. I would like to see Pope uh, Franciscus uh, here mediate and uh, plead Pax Optima Rerum, which was the uh, motto of the Peace of Westphalia. And uh, the only end of this war can be through negotiation, through compromise, through a quid pro quo. Russia will have well, to make compromises. Since the coup on Maidan in 2014, the, the, the West has been in, not in a compromising mood. I don't see why they're going to be in it now, okay? Everyone want, in, the, in, the, in the West, they want to say Ukraine is a victim. Well, Ukraine was a volunteer. It was a, a NATO volunteer, and this is what has happened as a result. Uh, Stephen, let me go to you. I mean, uh, Joseph Burrell talked about the garden um, and the jungle. Um, yes. <laughs> I've been to Serbia. I've been to Serbia. It's kind of a garden to me. I mean, what's going on with that guy? Go ahead, in Belgrade. Again, we're, we're going back to this uh, colonial discourse, and they're not even realizing that they're using it. Uh, the same or similar uh, analogies uh, uh, I've heard uh, uh, from, uh, uh, from Robert Cooper in, in his book, Breaking of Nations, where he speaks about uh, uh, modern, pre-modern, and post-modern states, where actually it is allowed for the political West basically uh, to lie and use lies, which really uh, reminded me of what Putin said about uh, West being the empire of lies. And even when it comes to uh, this this whole analogy between authoritarian regimes and, uh, uh, and democracies on the other side, well, one of the first 10 founding states of NATO was a fascist uh, regime in Portugal uh, uh, of uh, General uh, uh, Salazar at the time. Uh, so what kind of language is that? They, 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 are, uh, uh, they never 
really followed uh, the, the rules that they are imposing to the rest of the world uh, for themselves. They, uh, so, so one rule applied for their behavior, and then there is another set of rules that apply for others. This even, even goes uh, uh, with this ideology of laissez-faire economics uh, or any single component of uh, the, uh, the, let's say, liberal thought, because there is, uh, I would say, an export version and the one that we use at home. And, uh, and I think that the trick uh, worked, of course. Uh, it worked for over 200 years, but it's not working anymore. And uh, I think the majority, the global majority, uh, had enough, and they don't want to follow these rules. Uh, so now we have, uh, uh, I would say, a attempt to uh, physically stop the change, and that is why uh, so much uh, weapons uh, uh, is flowing from the West uh, uh, into Ukraine. I believe that Ukraine uh, is a victim, but not in the way that probably majority of people there well, think. Well, no, my, my point, are... it, my, but Stephen, my point is it volunteered to do this. It's political class co-opted by the West volunteered exactly. to do this, and the consequences were obvious to anyone that had open eyes, okay? That's Absolutely. what makes this conflict so so tragic because it never should have happened in the first place. December 17th of last year, two, two ultimatums. We need to talk because it's getting bad. They wouldn't listen. Thoughts from you. And and go, 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 we're wrapping, rapidly running out of time. Hassan, what do you think about what I just said in Istanbul? Well, I would say the, the Ukraine conflict could have been prevented. There's no question about it. And in the end, the sort of compromise whoever is going to mediate with is going to be is going to prove that point that it could have been prevented right from the beginning. After all, you know, for instance, think about a solution to the Ukraine crisis. It can't go on. On the one hand, you have the sort of hawkish Western world. Um, in, uh, interestingly, those, those include the Baltic states and Poland and yeah. Romania and, and others, including Britain. And uh, Biden's uh, house seems to be quite a divided one. Uh, we keep hearing the United States military uh, talking, uh, talking in, 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 a, in at least a little bit sensible way. So there seems to be some sort of, sort of sobriety coming up uh, within the Pentagon because we heard the Pentagon chief saying that Ukraine cannot basically push the Russians out of Ukraine. So the Ukraine war aims are not attain attainable. They are not achievable. And, there and it, it, the automatic suggestion that comes out of it is that there has to be some sort of a compromise. And we see lately the uh, CIA and the Russian uh, Foreign Intelligence Service meeting in Ankara. I mean, they didn't talk about basketball, did they, or uh, <laughs> any other thing? Uh, they they must have they must have spoken about serious matters, you know, uh, with the Turkish intelligence chief uh, basically mediating in between the two. I would think in the end uh, this is going to lead to a compromise where Ukraine is going to turn into some sort of a federation with two federated. Uh, founding states, and then, you know, uh, Ukraine's constitution will declare that it will remain a, a neutral country of some sort. Well, if this is going to come to that, then uh, why did you basically co cause this war, and why did you, uh, why did you basically? Well, my friend, you're 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 pre you're pre you're preaching you're, you're preaching to the choir here, <laughs> Stephen. In Belgrade, you want to jump in? Go ahead. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, it seems to me uh, that there is a division that we are not really, uh, that is not so obvious within the, the, the West itself. Uh, it seems to me that the people in Pentagon and, uh, and, and similar structures are way more rational uh, compared to the politicians, uh, both in Brussels, in the NATO structures, and uh, in the, the hawkish Eastern European NATO member states. Because uh, they are the ones trying to send the signals, okay, let's talk about it, let's not underestimate Russia's power, let's not uh, um, escalate the conflict, whereas uh, the politicians are, are those who are uh, constantly putting oil to the fire, uh, and I would like to see how this development goes. I, I'm very um, curious about the role of Elon Musk here because well, uh, let, me more... let me jump in here. Never have faith in these politicians. They're all buffoons. Okay, <laughs> Alfred, last thirty seconds. Go to you, my friend. Go ahead. Well, uh, you know my book, Building a Just World Order, and you know my twenty-five principles of international order. I think that uh, if uh, Mr. Biden and Mr. Blinken were to give it a chance and uh, look at those 25 principles, you got a roadmap for peace in uh, Ukraine. But of course, they are so caught in their own web that it's very difficult. What you need is a third party. You need an Erdogan. You need a Pope uh, Francisco's who would mediate? Well, Alfred, Alfred I, I, you know, I'm sorry, Blinken and Biden are politically illiterate. That's a problem here. Gentlemen, that's all <laughs> the time we have here. I want to many thanks to them, I guess, in Istanbul, Geneva and in Belgrade. And thanks to our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. Remember, Crosstalk Rules.